the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. Anything and everything is fair game. 340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected to our studio producer uh just hit the call now banner well uh today wednesday night i have the privilege of teaching genesis chapter 41 tonight uh it's a thrilling chapter um i talk all the time about how life can change in an instant and that's what happens to joseph uh in our study tonight and then, of course, uh, tomorrow, uh, Paula will be live in the studio with me on the date day edition of the program. So, ladies, especially for you, I've been noticing lately Paula's getting more calls from men than from women. But if you have any encouragement that's needed or any questions for Paula, uh, she will be here with me live tomorrow on the program. Okay, let me get to some questions. My first question comes from Neighbor John. Now, this is neighbor John, and he's making the reference because we're actually moving. Paul and I are moving um, in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be in his neighborhood, so I know who this is. He says, Hi, Pastor Ron. I was noticing that Satan is referred to as the devil only in the New Testament. Is that a function of Greek to English as opposed to Hebrew to English translation? Or is there some other reason? Or is it just an NIV thing? It's not an NIV thing, John, uh, because all of the um, the translations uh, in the New Testament say the devil, um, uh, other than in the book of Revelation where it talks about the ancient serpent. Um, but it's the Greek word diabolos. And that's just what diabolos means. It means devil. In the Old Testament, he's referred to uh, in other ways, but but uh, make no mistake, the the it's a, a correct translation uh, from Greek to English in the New Testament. And uh, the Greek word diabolos is the only way you can translate that. Good question, John. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Jeremy, and I've been thinking about this question for a couple of days. I don't know how honest to be here. Asked my producer, how honest should I should I be with this? And he didn't give me a bunch of help. So I'm going to be honest. I just may not tell you everything. Uh, Jeremy says, as you look back on the last year, what has been the best and the worst parts of pastoring your church? 
Uh, I think the worst part is easy, Jeremy. The worst part is uh, all of the time that the body was was separated. Uh, I, I think it is um, the fellowship of believers is so important, so vital to a healthy, vibrant walk with Christ that in those uh, months when uh, churches weren't permitted to open, to have people in, I think we went something like nine weeks um, uh, where we weren't meeting. And um, there'd be eight or nine of us here um, on a Sunday or a Wednesday or a Friday, um, a small worship team, uh, the sound people, the 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 audio or the video people. Um, Paula, of course, would be here, and then Sam would be here. Um, uh, and, and it's just, th- those are really hard times. To see people struggling um, and, and the church not being open uh, was something that I really, really struggled with. It was, uh, I, I can't adequately describe how painful it was. Knowing what the devil does to, to, to Christians in isolation knowing exactly um, how important the exercise of our spiritual gifts are in the church body, uh, that was really, really painful. I I don't think there's anything even close to that. Um, uh, Obviously, it was also a very difficult year for us in the sense that I made national news. Um, I mean, I was in People Magazine and New York Times and uh, literally news stations all over the country. I'm getting calls from people uh, because we had an outbreak here at the church in June, toward the end of June. We had, I think, 53 people who came down with uh, COVID-19. And of course, that was difficult. Uh, I was being blamed for everything from um, the COVID to not paying attention to not being uh, a caring pastor. You know, if you're cared for your people, you'd you'd um, you close the church. Um, but but my job, Jeremy, is to to care for them spiritually and physically. The truth is, and I don't mean I don't want to be misunderstood when I say this. But I, I think that uh, the outbreak we had here in June was actually a blessing in disguise in the sense that so many people here got it uh, at that time that we haven't had any uh, outbreaks since that time. Now, we've had a couple of people who who were out and with family members and not in church or anything, but, but they got COVID from other places. But uh, we've been in school an entire year without a single COVID outbreak uh, among the kids or the staff. Um, uh, I, I just, you know, those are difficult things. Uh, some people uh, that I care so deeply about had significant symptoms and, and watching them suffer. Uh, we have uh, one dear, dear woman in the church who's still having lingering effects from COVID that she had in June. I think she might have been the first one in the church to get it. And so th- those are difficult things. Um, uh, I'll tell you one of the other difficult things that we had. Uh, we saw uh, churches, even parts of our church, the people, divided over politics. Um, and there's no excuse for that. Uh, as believers, we're certainly entitled to have our political opinions. But when we cease to love one another, um, because they support a candidate that is different than you. And then you get all of this back and forth on Facebook and other social media platforms. And you just wonder, are you guys even saved? And and that's, I approached my church that way. I just told them that, that, that a, a church like ours has always been known for the depth of love to, uh, to watch our family uh, forget who they are in Christ over politics. I got to say, Jeremy, that was a really difficult thing as well. So those are the hard things, the best things. I got to tell you, Easter Sunday, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, um, just last week, those are the best things. Uh, uh, to have the church packed again, to have people who um, uh, who really were f- just so filled with joy to be here on those significant days. That was just a wonderful thing. 
Um, the only other thing I can say about the best and worst parts of pastoring the church, um, J- Jeremy, I've got the best job in the world. I love what I do. I love the fact that a jerk like me gets to do it. I love being around the people that God has surrounded us with. It's just been a um, a privilege. And, you know, you, you recognize that there are some years that are great and seem to have very few or, or even any major trials. Um, but then there are other years where there are lots and lots of trials. That's just part of being a Christian in this world. It's part of being a pastor of a church. But... Um, no matter how difficult it gets sometimes, it's still the best job in the world, Jeremy, and I, I can't imagine doing anything else, not only that, but I can't imagine why God would allow me the privilege of doing it. So I hope that makes sense. Thank you, Jeremy. Here's a question from Andrew. Pastor, and I'm pro-life, but I get attacked by people because I also believe in the death penalty for murder. How can I defend my position? Andrew, I get questions on this. Uh, Most of the time it's from people from the other side, uh, and they're trying to point out hypocrisy. There's no tension between those two positions. A baby in a womb is an innocent child uh, who who deserves the right to live. Uh, Somebody who is given the death penalty for taking the life of another human, premeditated murder, um, we don't have to defend either of those positions. So there's no tension at all. And uh, I, I think you just need to stand up and say, it is, it is an indefensible position to think that those two situations uh, can even be compared. Uh, when a woman gets pregnant and gets an abortion, it is a premeditated decision to murder a child. And whatever the reason they want to do it, it's not convenient, it's not time, I didn't want to be a mother, I'm not in love, whatever the reason is. It's my body, I can do it the way I want. There is no justification in this world for murdering a baby in the womb. There is no justification. There is every justification in the world And remember, the death penalty was God's position. A man takes the life of another human, uh, his life will be sacrificed. Uh, That's been from the very beginning. It's been part of the history of this world forever. And I'm always amazed when people think, well, we're a much more sophisticated society. We live in the 21st century, and we know better than people who, who have lived throughout the ages. It's simply not a defensible position. So don't back off. Don't apologize at all. There's no tension. Being pro-life includes wanting justice for those who take life. I'm pro-life in the womb, but I'm pro-life for victims of crime as well. So again, Andrew, those are, 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 there's no tension at all there. And I think that's that's a pretty tired mantra by those who call themselves pro-choice, uh, when in reality they 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 don't view a baby in a womb as a baby. It's a it's tissue, and that's the way it is. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Here is an anonymous question: Has your church taken any steps to facilitate racial reconciliation? I think it's time for real Christians to step out, especially in the light of the George Floyd trial taking place. Um, anonymous, I don't really know what. Uh, specifically you're talking about in terms of real Christians stepping out in light of the George Floyd trial taking place. Um, Regardless of what race George Floyd was, um, what happened to him was murder, pure and simple. Um, uh, We watched it on television. It's now being played out again before our nation. And I don't think other than saying it's murder and and the the price needs to be paid for that murder. Um, I I think that's the only thing that we can do. Now, as to our church, 
having taken any steps to facilitate racial reconciliation. Yeah, I, I do, and I'm going to offend people when I say this. But the truth is, we don't recognize race. We recognize saved and unsaved humans because we take our cue from the Bible, not from the media. Racial reconciliation, we want everybody to be reconciled to God. And then we who are Christians, according to the Apostle Paul, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's not reconciling one group to another group. That's reconciling or expediting reconciliation um, for other people to God. So we tell people about Jesus. And I don't think there's any other way, biblically, to look at this. Racial prejudice is sin. Period. If it's unrepentant sin, God will deal with those who are unrepentant. But for those of us who aren't prejudiced, I've been married anonymous to a beautiful black woman. We've been together for 51 years. Um, I, I don't need to reconcile the races. People walk in this door. We don't care where they're from. We don't care what the background is. We just want them to know Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. And this world would be way ahead if it viewed race relations the same way. Ignoring race is the most effective thing. And we take our cue from God. It's that straightforward. And I think the going overboard as is being done now uh, on social media and in the mainstream media, I think the pressure um, to be woke uh, in this area uh, is is causing more and more separation. You know, Anonymous, it's no accident that um, our nation never became more racially divided than under the presidency of Barack Obama. It was always in our face. Everybody it was always about race. And it hasn't been that way in my lifetime, um, except for the um, civil rights wars, um, all the progress that we made during those civil rights battles was lost under the presidency of Barack Obama, and now we're losing it even to a greater degree. So, no, our church hasn't taken any steps to facilitate racial reconciliation other than everybody who comes in here, do they know Jesus or do they not know Jesus? And that is the only, only, only biblical position that can be taken uh, in this issue of race relations. Hope that makes sense to you. Brian, I'm getting questions not about the Bible, questions about other stuff. Brian wants to know, should Christians get the vaccine? I'm afraid not to, and I'm afraid to. Um, Brian, uh, I, I gosh, you know, should Christians get the vaccine? It's a matter for every Christian to prayerfully decide. Um, it's certainly not unchristian to get it. It's not a lack of faith to get it. Um, but I also think it's okay if you decide not to. Uh, one of the girls in the high school class today, I went by and they had a question for me because her mom got the vaccine today. Um, and, and now her mom has a fever and isn't feeling well. And and um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get sick. I have not taken it, Brian. Um, don't know if I'm going to yet. Uh, I'm not making any kind of a political stand one way or another. I just don't want to get sick um, at this point because I've had it already. I'm I'm immune to it, and and uh, I feel great. I, I to me it just never makes sense. I'm the same guy that never takes a flu shot. Um, but um, um, I think Christians should do what their conscience compels them to do. And I think it's one of those things that we're perfectly okay if we do or if we don't. Um, your your question, I think, or your statement, you're afraid not to take it and you're afraid to take it. Uh, I think that describes a lot of us. You know, this vaccine has been pushed quickly. I think it's, it's a good thing that it was. However, um, you know, we're, we're taking a, a gamble. It's a roll of the dice. So I don't know the answer 
at all um, for that. So I hope that makes sense to you. Let's go to line one. We've got Ray calling from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. We've missed you. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi, Ray. I, I don't really have a question other than what do you think of this? I saw something today that never crossed my mind. <laughs> it was a uh, 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 female pastor that had introduced pole dancing, and uh, I, I, I think uh, the, the sep- section was shot in Colorado Springs, but I thought at the beginning of it, they said she was in Aspen, which neither one surprises me. I just wonder, what do you think of that? <laughs> well, uh, did you say hall, H-A-L-L dancing, Ray? P-O-L-L. Oh, pole dancing. So P-O-L-E, probably, I mean, yeah. Yeah, P-O-L-E dancing. Okay. Yeah, Ray, that's... I didn't know if maybe the next thing in her, uh, I'll say, act would have been to pass the plate instead of... <laughs> you know, I don't know. It just, it yeah. just got me all sideways. Yeah, and Ray, we wonder sometimes why people don't take church and Christians seriously. Uh, it's because there are people like that who are um, misrepresenting uh, what Christians and what church is all about. I, I didn't see the article, um, and I'm, I'm probably grateful that I didn't, but um, it just shows you, you know, we, we put on shows uh, in so many churches. We don't want to talk about serious things. We don't want to talk about the Bible. We want to entertain people, make them feel good about themselves to fill uh, to fill seats, and I just think I, I just think that's a horrible, horrible thing, a place that we've gotten to. Oh, Wraith, I could have gone without that. Not nothing against you, Ray. I'm just saying, what's next <laughs> in these last hours of these last days? Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we are inside of five minutes for this half of the program. This is an anonymous question. Why does it seem that some Christians are really grateful and others seem not to be grateful? Um, anonymous, I, I can tell you, I can boil it down to two simple things. Um, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, says, he or she who has been forgiven much loves much. And I think the truly grateful Christians, I'm one of those Christians, Anonymous, um, we realize what God has done for us. You know, we realize that, that we deserve to be in hell. And yet God in his mercy snatched us from the pit of hell and gave us a new life, a new life here, but with wonderful and glorious promises for life in eternity. And I'm grateful. Mary Magdalene was one of those who loved much. Mary of Bethany, another one who loved much. And if you if you you follow the examples of those people, you see the impact that they had. And they they had those two women. In fact, had impact um, in, in a culture where women's value was was negligible. And yet, they finally found a man who loved them and saw value in them, and they were grateful. I think the other thing, and Mary Bethany and Mary Magdalene are good examples of this either, is, is I say all the time in this program, just be with Jesus. They were always with Jesus. Mary Bethany, we see her three times in the New Testament, and all three times we see her at the feet of Jesus. Mary Magdalene wouldn't let Jesus out of her sight I think in his presence is the fullness of joy. That's what the Bible tells us. And and if, in fact, when we're with Jesus, gratitude comes flowing out of us, I think it's a pretty simple solution to say that those people that are not grateful, it's because they're not hanging out with Jesus. You know, it's a real problem when the world looks at us and sees Christians that are sour or cynical or sad all the time. Um, you know, the, the more time we spend with ourselves, the more miserable we all are. So the 
easy answer is saying, well, let's just be with Jesus. But I think we've got to get our minds and our hearts. Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, he says, set your mind and your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I think the ungrateful Christians anonymous are those who whose hearts and minds, the heart being the place of affection, the things that we love, and the mind being the place of decision, I think we have our hearts and our minds on things beneath, things below. And the more time we spend in the mess of this world, the more time we spend focused on things that don't have eternal value, I think we're going to obviously see Christians who are not filled with gratitude. I know Christians who say, well, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Well, how about being saved from hell? How about Jesus deciding to live in us? I think those are a lot of wonderful things to be grateful for. What about the people that God has surrounded you with in your life? Now, there might be some really bad ones there, too, but they don't come from God. Hey, we'll be back. We'd love your live calls and questions at 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. We have 30 minutes left on this Wednesday afternoon. Let's go to San Antonio for Cindy online one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been thinking about something since last Friday. I was thinking about the fact that when Jesus was raising people from the dead, like you're in a room and there's somebody that's dead, and they're not just a little dead, they're really, really, really <laughs> dead. And, and Jesus comes in and he raises them to life. And I was thinking about what an example that he was setting for us, that the fact that he would raise himself from life and that he's raising us from life because we're all really dead. We're dead in sin. And he was just showing us that he is raising us to life. And um, I just keep thinking about that, how, how amazing that is. And, I mean, how much more point blank could he get than to walk in a room and raise somebody from the dead? So that's just kind of what I've been thinking about since um, since Friday. But we were recorded Friday, so I, so I didn't call in. But, um, okay. Anyway, so that, that's kind of what's been rolling around in my head today. I'm going to get on the phone and let you talk about okay. it a little. Bye. Appreciate it. Thank you. You know, um, Cindy made a really good point. You know, those of us who are alive physically, apart from Christ, we don't think we're dead. Oh, I'm walking around. I've got my life ahead of me. I can make choices. We don't realize that we're dead. We're dead in our sins. Uh, Adam and Eve, when, when God told them, don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will surely die. Uh, I, I imagine when Eve took that first bite and then handed it to Adam and he took a bite, uh, I imagine they kind of held their breath for a minute, see if they were going to drop dead, you know, just just die. Um, but what God was telling them is you're going to die spiritually, and eventually Adam, as our federal head, um, he eventually would die and set a pattern for the rest of humanity, save two men. Um, but we're we're dead people walking around. And I, we just don't take this seriously enough. Apart from Christ, we are all dead. And we are condemned to an eternity in torment. So, Cindy, I think about that all the time. Um, it, it's just one of those things that... that um, you know, people, oh, I'm okay. I don't need God. I just you, They don't even realize they're dead. That's how powerful the enemy is in terms of his ability to persuade. Regarding the the um, incidents, you know, uh, when, when Jesus, um, imagine the things that Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, were able to see. Think about that. They were privileged to watch Jesus raise people from the dead. 
and then at the tomb of Lazarus at the end of Jesus's ministry, um, everybody who was there saw Lazarus come hobbling out in his grave clothes. Um, it, it would have been an amazing thing to watch. And yet still people wouldn't believe. I always get uh, tickled, Cindy, when I hear people say, um, well, if Jesus did miracles for me, I'd believe. Well, they didn't believe when they saw them. So I just think it's 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 a great picture. Um, I'm sure the people that were raised from the dead or the families of those who were raised from the dead, I'm sure they had no problem believing. They became believers and followers of the Lord. But our hearts are so hard. We are so dead that even with those kinds of miracles, we won't believe because we want to keep sinning. It's an amazing thing to consider. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate your thoughts. Let's go to Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Jeff. Um, I, I'm going to practice behaving uh, today because, <laughs> you know, I know tomorrow don't, if I call, I don't I don't want to, like, you know, overstep and, and, and you know, get knocked off the air. So Yeah, don't, don't get a headache. No, no, definitely. I'm really jealous about uh, about not being, you know, at your services on Friday and Sunday, and I'm wondering how to reconcile that that jealousy because, you know, our our, our services were, were were not that were not that glorious, actually. Oh. And uh, but we prayed. I mean, we certainly prayed for you. And um, I was thinking, you know, you you've talked. You've fielded a lot of questions about people that struggle with actually being forgiven from their past, and yeah. that if if I remember correctly, you know, you talk about well, that's you know, that's pretty prideful, and you, you know, that's that's something we really have to let go. But how do we deal with the haunting of our past? I mean, how how do we learn to to, to truly disassociate from uh, the, the thoughts, the tapes that keep running sometimes, reminding us about who we are, and I, and I know that Paul was 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 haunted a lot. He he had to be with the, the destruction and everything that he caused in the Christian community. Who knows how many people he actually, you know, was murdered or, or was part uh, of of uh, killing the Christians that he persecuted for so many years before he became an apostle. And I think for myself, you know, I know it's sort of spiritual warfare, isn't it? It's just, um, yeah. you know, I don't know if it's a demon that's actually attacks us uh, with those uh, reminders and with those self-doubts. And, and I I don't want to feel that that's pride on my part for feeling like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it was so bad not to be forgiven. You know, maybe I'm, I'm not really forgiven for that, but. I think it's just the haunt of what comes back and wants to derail us from our mission. You know, yeah. and I, Jeff, I Jeff let, me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever read the screw tape letters? Uh, no, I have not read the screw tape letters. Okay. That, that'd be a, you, you'd, you'd, you'd be thrilled with that. That's a wonderful, wonderful read because it, it, it's C.S. Lewis dealing with these kind of things. And mm. um, it, it's just really something, I think, that we all need to understand. You ask, what's the best way to deal with our past? And I take all my cues from the Lord. He said he buries our sins in the deepest, darkest ocean. They're as far from us as east is from west. And if mm. he forgets them, then then why shouldn't we forget them? Now, we've got the spiritual warfare element of, a, of, a, of an enemy that keeps whispering and sometimes shouting in our ear about the horrible things that we've done in our past. But, but I like your, the, the, your example. Of, you know, these, these old tapes keep playing in our head. I'm really low tech. So every tape player I've ever played had an off button. And I think we've got to push the off button. We've got to recognize first that those lies, those thoughts of condemnation and I might not be forgiven or how could God love me with all the terrible things that I've done. I think we have to take those thoughts captive, recognize who they are from, and then hit the off button. And the spiritual warfare that we're dealing with always um, it reminds us um, that, that 
the enemy is always going to keep bringing up the same old things, and he won't try anything new as long as the old things keep working. And I think it's really important for us to understand that that immediately we get those doubts. We recognize the source, it's the, the enemy of our souls and, and or his demons, and we simply refuse to listen to him. Uh, let me also disagree a little bit with your characterization of the Apostle Paul, because while Paul acknowledges that he was the worst of all sinners, he speaks about that in the past tense. And later he says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on. And he's pressing on to fulfill the calling of God in his life. And I think that's a really practical instruction for us because when we uh, forget our past and Satan brings it up, one of the ways that we can hit the off button is simply to turn and focus on that which Christ has laid hold of us for. And he's laid hold of us to go share the gospel with other people. Um, it's a matter of faith. You know, part of the the um, weapons of spiritual warfare, two things that I think are especially relevant here, three things actually. One is the helmet of salvation protects your brain. A helmet is supposed to keep your brain safe. So you realize, I'm saved. Jesus is a, uh, gave me a deposit, a down payment on my inheritance, guaranteeing my salvation. I didn't guarantee it. You didn't guarantee it. Jesus himself guaranteed it. And the deposit is the person of the Holy Spirit living in us. So if we if we recognize that logically, the, another um, um, weapon is our feet fitted with readiness. And I think actively getting faith to our feet, we turn around and begin serving the God that the enemy is trying to get us to doubt. It is written, Jesus replied, when he was being tempted. That he, he didn't argue or debate with the devil. He just said, it is written, and then told him what was written, and Jesus made the decision to believe it. The third piece of warfare uh, equipment that I'm going to be talking about this Friday night, I'm going to give the whole message to the shield of faith, and I'm, I think this is so important, Jeff, Jeff, I've told the church that I'm going to stick around and answer questions because I want them to get faith in the most practical of senses. So the shield of faith and how to use it. And I think sometimes it's just a matter of are we going to believe that nagging voice that keeps coming back with the same old lies or are we going to trust the one who's promised us that we're his? And I don't think Paul spent a lot of time dwelling on um, the, the past. He, he, he did horrible things. Um, he was responsible for the murder of Stephen, um, among, I'm sure, others. But, um, you know, just the joy that he experienced continually in his service for the Lord, the sense that God would choose me after all that I've done, God would allow me to do what I do. I think that was his focus, and um, I think those are examples for us to follow. So it's important, Jeff, and we're going to talk about that uh, um, on Friday night here when we talk about the shield of faith. Great question. Thank you, Jeff. Let's go to Harold on line two from San Antonio. Harold, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Yeah, it's Harold. Um, I was reading a few weeks ago, off and on in the book of Isaiah. I think it's, well, I know it's chapter one. I'm not sure if it's verse one or two, but uh, I'll paraphrase where God is just very upset with the burnt offerings. Kind of like, stop bringing your burnt offerings of your cows. And I'm not sure what animals he said. Like I said, I'm paraphrasing, but it just seemed like he just had enough of that, and he don't want any more of that. In Isaiah chapter 1, I think verse 2. So I was just kind of thinking to myself, was that the end of the sacrifice, or was that just for that period? And I'll just listen on the radio. Thank you, Harold. Yeah, yeah. it, it wasn't the end of sacrifices because the people were doing it. What, what he was obviously talking about um, is is the, the hypocrisy uh, in in verse four? 
Uh, he says, ah, sinful nation of people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord. And yet, in forsaking the Lord, they continue to make offerings. And so that's why Jesus told them, I hate your offerings. They're a, they're, they make me weary. They tire me out. Who asked this of you, this trampling of my court? And this is really the the focus of the, the entire first chapter. It's sort of laying out all of the reasons that they're they're going to be judged. Remember, this is 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 woe after woe after woe. Judgment is coming because of your your behavior. But then when he gets down to verse 11, Harold is where he says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats. And then he says this, when you come to appear before me, who's asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? And then he says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't want the offerings. The offerings were prescribed in the law. But what he's talking about is meaningless offerings. And Harold, for you and for me, for people listening to this program today, uh, we come to church, we can go through all the motions, we can actually read our Bibles and not think about the Lord. We can just sort of do it to check it out. And, and God says, look, I'm not asking you to do this. If you're going to go to church just to check off a box on your spiritual to-do list, well, don't bother. Every weekend, Harold, every weekend there are people in church, in my church, in churches everywhere, who are sitting there singing worship songs to God, having sinned Saturday night. Willfully, intentionally sinned. In every church, there are people who are living together or having sex together who aren't married, and yet they show up in church. And God would say the same thing to us as he said to Israel, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Why are you here if you're not going to change? I challenge our church here all the time. Every time you come in this room, you need to be willing to change. Let God change you, convict you with this word and change you. And the people that just sort of go through the motions and go to church, uh, that really um, has no value whatsoever. Makes us feel a little bit better. Well, at least I went to church. And God's saying, well, I didn't ask you to. I didn't want you to. God wants our hearts to be right. But the man or the woman that can go to church living in sin, willful, continuing sin, God says, my soul hates the offerings or sacrifices. He says he's weary of bearing them. They become a burden to him. And here's the real danger, Harold. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. That's what happens when we offer going to church. Maybe we do some good things. Maybe we give a few dollars in the offering box. If you're doing it with dirty hands, it's better not to do it at all. Great question. Keep reading Isaiah. Uh, I have uh, an entire study on Isaiah. Um, Harold, on our uh, website, calvarysa.com. Let's go to line three, M from San Antonio. M, thank you for holding. You're on the air. I recently heard a message, and I was wondering if you could give me some clarity on it. It wasn't from you. It was just another pastor. Um, The question is, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that once you receive Jesus into your heart, you're saved. The Holy Spirit comes into you. But do you not have... Is there such a thing as not having the power of the Holy Spirit? Sure. Sure. Um, M, um, the, 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 we have three relationships with the Holy Spirit. Um, you can go through the book of Acts and the three Greek words that describe our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The first word is the Greek word para. And that's when the Holy Spirit is with us. And by that, I mean he comes alongside of us. 
and he convicts us of sin, of righteousness and judgment, we have to make a decision. Well, when we make the decision for Christ, then he comes in us. And that's all the Holy Spirit anybody ever gets. When, when, when he comes in you, he seals your heart with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance. It means him that, that you are a believer, you're going to be in heaven, and, and he wants to do great things through you. The third relationship is when he comes upon you. That Greek word is epi, E-P-I. And that's when he comes upon you in power. And the trigger for the powering of the Holy Spirit is obedience. Acts 5.32 says that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And that context there is in power. So what happens when we take a step of obedience? For example, uh, you might be uh, in a restaurant somewhere and somebody looks like they're hurting and you just feel a need to go over and talk to them or to try to open the line of conversation. And then you, you, you have the opportunity to share a little bit and you start sharing. That's the Holy Spirit. And he'll remind you of Bible passages. He'll give you some insight sometimes into what they're going through. And it's because you stepped out to minister to somebody who's hurting. That's obedience to the Lord. The same thing is true using your gifts, uh, whatever gifts you have. Um, when you step out to use those gifts for the glory of God, um, then his power is attendant. The truth, M, is that we can't do anything with the gifts that God has given us apart from his power. It's sort of like having a razor or a computer or something and you've run out of, of battery power. Eventually it just sort of fizzles out and, and you have no connection. Well, the disobedient Christian, while saved, and Paul writes to the church at Corinth a, a whole letter dealing with their flesh and their disobedience, you're saved, you're going to go to heaven, but there's no power because you're not connected to the source of power. So probably what this pastor was talking about was the need to be connected to Jesus for the power of God. And anything and everything we do, uh, whether it's getting up in the morning and praying or getting up and opening your Bible and saying, okay, Lord, I want to hear from you. What we're doing there, M, is we are connecting to the Holy Spirit. And, and that means all of the power, the power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in us, is then available to us. And then we're able to do things for God's glory, but, but in his power. And the rest of the church, we know they have a form of godliness, Paul says, but denying the power thereof. There is no power apart from being connected in relationship to Jesus. And that key, again, is obedience. Does that make sense to you? It does. Um it just really caught my attention when I heard it that I, I wasn't aware that you could be a Christian and be saved, but yet not have the power, not be well, empowered it's, using yeah, it. It's like, yeah, it's like the power is in you and it's, it's dormant. And then you take that step of obedience and then it fires up. It's, it is a, mm. a reward for being obedient. And then in your obedience, God is going to inflame all of the gifts that you have and you're going to be able to use them for his glory. It's a wonderful thing. If you've ever shared with somebody and, and all these Bible verses came to mind and you didn't even know you knew yes. them, that's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, that okay. power was triggered by your obedience. Um, if if uh, you see somebody on the street and, and, and there's just this sense in your heart where they really look like they're hurting and you talk to them and they're down and out and you just pray for them and, and maybe hear the Holy Spirit say, well, you know, give them a little bit of money. Not, not always, not with every homeless person, but you just give them a little. That's just, that's just God speaking to your heart because you've been obedient and you're rightly representing him. So, yeah, there's all this power. And I think that's the real problem in the church, Jim, because when, when we've got... Uh, all this power in us and we're living in disobedience or we're unwilling to take a step of faith and use those gifts, um, I think that just breaks God's heart. So, yeah, the power is there, but it's like being unplugged. And then when we walk with Jesus, we talk to Jesus, it's like it's like we're plugging back in and then then we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. 
But the church is impotent in large part because the idea of relationship, being close to Jesus, we're kind of presuming on that power. And there's lots of examples in the Bible where Jesus' own disciples did that. When they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, they were trying to cast out a demon. They were trying to cast out a demon based on an experience they had when Jesus once gave them power. But on this particular occasion, there was no power and they couldn't do it. It's, it's just, we can't presume that that power is always going to be there because that power is a direct response to our closeness, our proximity to Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said, but Paul reiterated, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. M, thank you for the question. That's a wonderful question. You know, you're the second person that I know whose name is M, E M. God, <laughs> God bless you. Thank you so much. Uh, bye-bye. Hey, we're just about at the end. The music's going to queue up in just a second. Uh, I'm going to be teaching Genesis chapter 41 tonight. Joseph um, being swept off his feet and going from prison to the being the most powerful man in the world. And then tomorrow, Paula will be live in the studio with me on the date day edition of the program. We would love your calls and questions. Hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. It's been a pleasure to be here with you. I love it more than you can know. May the Lord bless you and tell somebody how much Jesus loves them. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.